take our Bibles, turn over to the book of John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're in our Secrets of Successful Living series. We're dealing with the secret of abiding joy. The secret of abiding joy. Well, John chapter 15, verse 11, we'll kick things off there and we'll kind of do a brief summary and kind of catch up, catch everybody up to speed and then we'll continue on with our uh, uh, series in this area. So, Again, a tremendous topic, a very, very important one. And so let's go ahead and read that. To, uh, read that. I'll read it aloud. You read it silently with me. John 15, 11, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Again, these words were spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is important to notice when he uttered them. When he actually said them. I mean, for in just a little while, it wouldn't be very long, he'd find himself in Gethsemane. He, shortly after that, would be facing his accusers. And then it wouldn't be long after that, of course, he'd hear the crowds cry, crucify him. And then he'd be on Calvary. He knew that already. He had already told the disciples that this was his fate, this was his purpose for coming. And yet we see him in this passage saying, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Wow, what an amazing joy that had to be. Facing such hardship, trial, and difficulty, he still was able to say, My joy, my joy. I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon and it says, There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous, and that word means sorrowful or dismal spirit, brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. I don't know about you, but that's powerful. And we noted and we stated that what he's really saying in the end is simply this. That if you have a testimony of joy in your life, then you are a very positive influence. If you have no joy in your life then you are a very negative influence. He said that's true wherever you are, whether it's in the home or whether it's at work or in the house of God. But boy, Charles Spurgeon nailed it. He hit the nail on the head when he said those things. And so we said, let's go ahead and consider the secret of abiding joy. And we said, first of all, Christian joy should be the prevailing characteristic of the life of every believer. From A to Z, our Christian experience should be marked by joy. We said joy at conversion. Joy when reading God's holy word. We said joy in prayer. And we we began to look at that and started to ask some questions. And I, I guess I asked the question, well, if something is a joy to you, is it a chore or labor for you? And of course, the answer is no. If it's a joy, we take joy in it. It's not a labor. It's not a chore in that regard. And we said if being in the word and prayer is supposed to be so joyful then why do we struggle so much to do it if it's so joyous? Maybe it's not always what it ought to be in our lives. And that ought to be an indicator, and that ought to be a a red flag in our lives that something's amiss, something's wrong 
if indeed getting into the Word of God is not a joy, if prayer is not a joy, if for some reason we don't find ourselves going there consistently, faithfully, regularly, and wanting to, then maybe it's not, it's haven't taken the proper place that it ought to in our lives. And maybe there's something amiss in our hearts. Uh, it's so easy to, let's face it, it's so easy to attend church and, and, and to go through the motions and somehow convince ourselves that, well, everything's got to be fine, right? I mean, I'm still, I mean, it's like the guy who goes to work and he, he, he still uh, practices, still goes out jogging and he still does all those things, but he, he recognizes something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. Something's not quite right. And, and instead of, if he's very in tune with his body, he may go see his doctor only to find that maybe there's something wrong with him. Oh, he was still maintaining all of his activity. He was still getting through it. He was still fighting through it all. But the truth was he wasn't, there was something amiss. There was just something that was out of sorts. Something wasn't quite right. And he recognized that because he was in tune with his body. And he went to his doctor to find that he needed some kind of medicine or needed some kind of treatment or something to completely and totally heal him up. You know, spiritually speaking, that's how we ought to be. We ought to be so in tune and so in touch with our spiritual side, with the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, that we, although we're going through the motions, we're able to power through everything. There ought to be something that says, man, something's amiss, something's not right. And one of the indicators that something's not exactly right is if we're struggling with our personal walk with God, that ought to, that ought to be, I mean, bells and whistles ought to be going off in our, our, our hearts and our minds. And we ought to be saying, man, I need to start digging. I need to start praying. I got to start figuring out what it is that's amiss, what's wrong, what's not quite in balance in my spiritual life. There ought to be joy in our conversion, of course, in reading God's holy word, in prayer, we said, in the midst of trials, joy when suffering even, and joy when serving. And finally, we ended and we said, well, there ought to be joy at our journey's end even. And so we considered and we conversed in those areas and we discussed those situations. And so today, tonight, I want to continue then and I want to basically ask the question, you know, what is this Christian joy that we as Christians should experience? And um, that's what I want to talk about tonight. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll review our text verse again and we'll kick that off and get moving along tonight. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would speak to our hearts this evening. Again, we come together, Lord, not because we just simply want to gather, not because it's just our duty, not because we just, that's what we do as believers. No, we're here because we want something. We expect something from you. Father, after we've spent the week in this world and we've sought to try to stay clean, washing our feet, so to speak, The fact is we gather tonight because we need a shot in the arm. We need a little encouragement. We need someone, something to make a difference in our lives. And that someone and something's you. Bless us now and help us, we pray tonight. Lord, uh, tonight, there's someone that's without Christ and they get saved tonight. Father, it's possible tonight. Matter of fact, I believe it's likely that somebody here tonight's lost. And I just pray that they would understand that Although the preacher may not know who they are, you do. Father, may you settle that tonight, change and transform their life forever. Lord, may you just be with us as believers, and may we, Father, allow you to search our hearts, to remind us of 
your expectation. Show us if we are not measuring up. And Lord, it's not that you want to embarrass us. It's not that you want to somehow scold us. You simply want what's best for us. Well, thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so what is this Christian joy that we as Christians should experience? Well, in John chapter 15, verse 11, we've read it already. He says, Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. First of all, it's Christ's joy. It's his joy. He says that my joy might remain in you. Now, I think that's important. It's Christ's joy that we need, not just ours. It's his. See, the Christian life is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in you and in me. That's what the Bible teaches us. Take your Bible, look over at the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We have really got to get back to a biblical foundation when it comes to Christ and our lives. The reality is, is that it is not our life. Remember, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are what? God's. They're His. It's not ours anymore. We've been bought with a price, paid for in full. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul again speaking here, and he says, I am crucified with Christ. What's it mean to be crucified? Well, we know Jesus Christ was crucified. He died, didn't he? By the way, Jesus didn't die only spiritually speaking. He physically died that day. He didn't just go into a grave half dead and kind of resurrect from a state of some kind of catatonic state. He was as dead as dead could be. He rose literally bodily from the dead, from the grave. And you know what? Uh, If you and I have been crucified with Christ, then the element or the idea is we died with him. We're dead to who and what we were. And he goes on to say, nevertheless, although I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He goes on to say, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, listen, it's no longer my life. My life ended that day when I died with Jesus Christ on Calvary. It's no longer my life to do with as I please. It's his life. And it is Christ in me. And it is all Christ. And the fact is, is that as believers, until we really grab hold of that truth and understand that, then we will always have rights when it comes to our life in Christ. We'll always feel that he owes us something. We'll always feel that we deserve something until it is truly etched in our hearts and our minds, the reality that it is Christ in us and only Christ, then we are going to continually feel that we have a right to live as we please, to do as we please, and to continue as we please. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. See, that very day that you and I died with Jesus Christ is the day that we invited him in our life. So the moment that you trusted Christ and received him as your Savior, you died that day. And you are no longer your own anymore. Whether you want to believe you are, you're not. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would come home and I'd find somebody out in the yard using my mower in their yard, and, and, and I just, I'd be like, what, 
unless I had already discussed it, unless I had already told him that's fine, that's okay, but I'm driving down the road and I'm about a block from my house and I look over and I say, now that looks a lot like my mower. And, and, and then I get to my house and realize my mower's missing. And then I go back and I realize it's got a big, uh, you know, M-A-O on it. Mayo. Mark Allen O'Donnell. <laughs> I'd be like, wait a second. What's going on here? Hey, wait, that's my property. You don't, do, you don't use my property. You don't use what's mine unless you get permission. Now listen, I'd have probably let you use it if you'd have asked, but the fact is is that you don't just come into my house, take my property, and do with it as you please. This isn't my property anymore. I do not have a right to use it as I choose. If I'm going to, ha- if there's going to be anything being done with this body or in this body, it has to be pre-approved by the one who owns it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Boy, I'll tell you what, a, a very powerful passage. When Christ, who is our life. Is Christ your life, or is he just a part of your life? Is Christ my life, or is he a part of my life? Well, that's a powerful question, and it is a needed question today. We live in a world today where our, our interests are being directed and misdirected and misguided and sent in all directions all the time. Everybody's playing and, and biting for our attention, our, our, our assets, our, any, any, our abilities. Everybody wants, our, everybody wants to be, us to focus on them or their, their product or whatever it might be. Hey, listen, it's not mine to do with as I please. The question, the point is, is that he is our life. Nothing else ought to be our life but him. He is our life. There is no life without Christ. And someone says, that's radical. That's crazy. That is over the top. That's the Bible. That's what it just said. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's not with us today. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's talking to me, he's talking to you, and he's saying he ought to be your life now. Before he ever appears, he ought to be your life. And that's the truth for all of us. And you know what? It's Christ's joy. If Christ is my life, then what do you think I'll possess? Joy, because it's his joy. It's him. There is no joy without him. Not only that, it says, it is Christ's joy. He goes on, uh, the passage that we've read earlier says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. When we experience his joy, our joy is full. Boy, that's an amazing thing. He wants fullness of joy then. This, you know, what is this Christian joy that, we as Christians should experience, well, it's Christ's joy and it's fullness of joy. Now, there is a very, there's a big difference between joy and fullness of joy. There is, there's a big difference. See, there, there may be a, 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 some kind of vase or something that may be partly filled or completely filled. But see, the Lord's desire for you and I 
is that we should experience fullness of joy. That means continually overflowing joy. Not, not even just almost to the brim. No, overflowing joy. It ought, to, it ought to capture our hearts. It ought to move our feet. It ought to cause us to be excited about Jesus Christ and the Word of God and about the work of God. Man, there ought to be a joy in serving Jesus, a joy in being in the presence of Christ, a joy of being in the house of God, a joy in every aspect of our life. Our marriages ought to be filled with joy because Christ is at the center of them. And if He's not, He needs to be placed there. There ought to be joy in the home between parents and children. There ought to be joy because Christ is our all in all. If Christ is in our life and Christ is first and foremost and He is our life, then joy will be evidenced in our attitude and our outlook. Have you ever been around people or someone that is negative and critical and cynical about everything? I mean, it's quite obvious that uh, there's not a whole lot that's good in the world when you get around someone like that. At least that's the way they make you feel. But then again, you get around somebody that has the joy of the Lord in their life. And although the world may still be just as wicked and sinful as it's ever been or worse than ever, the fact is is that there's something about being around that person that makes you feel good about living. It's Christ in them. So often Christ isn't big enough in our lives. He's just a piece. He's a part, but he's not our life. And you know what? That, that joy is Christ's joy, but it is to be a fullness of joy. In Psalm chapter 16, turn there if you would, please. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Again, it's Christ's joy. Now, he wants us to experience fullness of joy. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Notice what it says then. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Again, notice, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, How inconsistent is it for us to claim that we meet with God regularly and consistently in prayer and in fellowship in our daily devotions without demonstrating joy in our life throughout? Maybe we're not really meeting then. See, in His presence is what? Fullness of joy. It's fullness of joy. Again, we said there's a difference. It's important to recognize this. Now, again, in his presence. If I'm getting in the presence of God every day, if I'm truly getting in his presence, then I'm experiencing what? What am I experiencing? Somebody please answer. I'm wondering if we just don't want to answer it. I, I mean, if we are getting in his presence, he says that in his presence is what? That's right. So if we're not experiencing fullness of joy then maybe we're not really in His presence, even though we're in our Bible and we're supposedly praying. Maybe we're not really meeting with the God of heaven. Maybe we're simply going through the motions. Maybe we're just reading our Bible and praying. We're getting it done. We're doing our duty. It's all right. Trust me, preacher. I'm praying. I'm reading. I don't know why this is happening to me. 
Maybe it's because we're really not even meeting with him. I mean, where's the joy at in our lives? Can I tell you the secret to raising children for God? Joy. Joy. Oh, well, let me go back one step because I'll, I'll get in trouble. It's consistency, and that consistency includes consistent joy. So let's not get, because you can't just have joy once in a while and raise children that can't wait to get in God's house. They've got to see the joy of the Lord in your life consistently. And then you need to discipline consistently. You need to direct consistently. You need to, 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 to pray consistently and, and worship together consistently. But let me tell you something. If you're not doing it with joy, 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 more joy, more joy, more joy. If the bus route and you're like, oh, great, oh, great. I got to go out visiting Saturday. I wish I could just stay home, but I got to go out visiting because that's what Brother Josh expects. Let me tell you something. Don't think your kid's going to turn out loving Jesus. It don't work that way. Well, Saul went in again. Here we go. I'm not saying that there aren't times I wish I could just chill out, take a dip in my pool. Hey, I got a pool and I finally got the water clear. No, my wife got the water clear. That's how it really worked. And so I'm telling you what, I jumped in the pool before I came to church tonight. There's a part of me want to just kick back and say, ooh, yeah. But there are more important things to do. And I don't do this just for a paycheck. I came to church long before I ever got paid to do it. I'm just telling you, there ought to be some joy in our lives. Serving Jesus isn't always easy, but it ought to be joyful. I, I don't know. I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're poisoning our families. And we're poisoning our, our friends. We're poisoning our church family. We're poisoning others because we don't have joy. And I'm telling you, we're lying and we're deceiving and we're, we're, we're not being honest with ourselves. When we get up every day, go through the Bible and prayer and don't have any joy in our life. I'm telling you, we have not met with him. I'm not trying to be mean. and I'm just telling you, it, that works for me too. When, when I got a bad spirit and I got a bad attitude... And I'm going around, yeah, me and God's close. We're tight today. Bless God. Bunch of idiots. They're so stupid. What? What in the world? What just happened? I'm so close to God and I met with the Lord Jesus and I got this fullness of joy. But I'm so cynical and critical and negative. What's wrong with me? How's come I can't find one good thing about my wife? How's come I can't find anything good about my husband? How's come my children are just a bunch of rugrats? What is going on in our lives? And yet we're so close to Jesus. So much joy, right? Come home, kick the dog, kick the cat. And anybody or anything else gets in the way. You've been praying? How's your prayer life? Great. It's good to meet with God every morning. I pray every morning, preacher. Stupid dog's always in the wrong place, though. Going to get kicked if it's in the wrong place. Maybe we're just not in the right place. This and this aren't where it belongs. And listen, we got to meet with God now. Again, I know that this is simple and you think, well, we're spending a lot of time on this. But can I tell you the, the real the danger of the Christian life is monotony. It, it's, it's familiarity. And familiarity breeds what? Contempt. We get to where the Christian life gets to just be old hat. But it ought not to be. It shouldn't be. The truth is there ought to be a, a freshness about the Christian life regularly. You know, I mean, there ought to be. 
Let's work on this thing. Let's ask ourselves, when I get out of my, off my knees and, and supposedly out of, the, out of the presence of God, am I leaving with joy? If not, maybe we haven't really gotten his presence. I'm not saying we didn't want to. I'm not saying our heart wasn't to try to get closer to God. I'm not saying that that's not the case. But let's, let's get to the point where we at least admit the reality of things. And we start to say, if, if in your presence is fullness of joy, how come I don't feel that joy? God, I want that joy in my life. God, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to beg you for that joy. I want that joy in my life. And we're headed in the right direction, though. Instead of just going, well, I've obviously got as much joy as any Christian can because I'm as faithful as anybody else in the church. Matter of fact, more than most. Did you guess what happened? And we kind of laugh at that. But if we're not careful, don't we kind of rest on our laurels? Don't we kind of, you know, just kind of relax a little bit? We kind of feel like, you know what, if anybody's right with God, it's got to be me because I go to church all the time. I read my Bible and pray. I mean, I'm, going, I'm doing everything around here. But doing everything doesn't translate to being everything that we ought to be. And it's not that we're bad people. It's not that our intentions aren't good. Every one of the best intentions, though, could be, you've got to be careful. we just got to take time to slow down. David said, search my heart, O God. Search my heart. God, reveal to me any weaknesses. Reveal to me any sin. Show me things in areas of my life that need addressed and, and, and dealt with. And that's what I think we ought to be, especially as we enter into this week of revival. We want to be prepared. We want God to be able to speak to us in a mighty way. Psalm 1611. But then John 17, 13 says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 1 Peter 1, 8 says, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You don't have to wait till Jesus returns to experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we can have that right now by faith, right where we are. Boy, I want that. I wanted my children to see joy in my life. I wanted them to see it in my marriage. I didn't want my kids growing up saying, I don't ever want to get married. I wanted them to grow up and say, you know what? I want exactly what mom and dad have. Look at that. It looks so wonderful. It's so sweet. It's so joyful. I didn't want them coming home and hearing mom and dad screaming and yelling and throwing things at each other all the time calling each other names or threatening things and saying bad things. No, I wanted them to come home and say, and, and say man, I tell you what, Mom and Dad, I want, to, I want that in my life. I want joy in my life. And listen, I know it takes two to tango, and sometimes, unfortunately, somebody's bent on not tangoing. I get it. And so sometimes you can't control all the ins and outs. I get it. Boy, I'll tell you what. From this point on, we need to control as much as we can. You do the best you can with what you got. And sometimes today in the culture we live in, divorce is the first answer for everything. You know, it's better that the kids don't have to listen to that. Then, yeah, well, look at the statistics and tell me what they say. So then be careful. Don't buy into that because you've got to remember there's another principle in the Bible too. Don't throw one principle out for another. You've got to balance them. So be careful with that, okay? 
Uh, listen, like I say, I, you're not, you can't fix everybody. You can't change everything. But be careful before you jump. That's all I'm saying. Be very cautious and careful. Seek good, godly, wise, wise counsel. Nonetheless, it is Christ's joy. It's fullness of joy. And then finally, it's abiding joy. Abiding joy. That my joy might remain in you, he says in 1511. That it might remain in you. See, the word remain indicates that the Christian joy is not, um, it's not intermittent. It's not off and on. Instead, it's a permanent joy. It's a continual joy. It's a constant joy. That's what the Bible implies. It's an abiding joy. It's, it remains in you. Again, it's unaffected by circumstance. As a matter of fact, in John 16, 22, the Bible says, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I'll see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. You say, wow, that's, that's a tall order. Well, there's some illustrations in the Bible we could look at. I mean, think for a moment just about Jesus Christ already. We've already discussed it to some degree. But here he is standing in the shadow of the cross, and yet we see him speaking of his joy. Not only that, but think about the 70 who had been sent out. Those those disciples who were given such authority and great power. And then in the end, Jesus, when they return, they're excited and they're just so thrilled about the power that they possessed, and Jesus has to refocus them. Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 10, and look look what Jesus says to them. I don't know about you, but to have the ability to heal, to cast out demons, to do all of those things, wouldn't that be thrilling? Man, you talk about, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I grew up in the era of, 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 of um, what's his name down there, uh, Ernest Angley. Man, I'm going to tell you what, brother, if I could just go, healed. <laughs> and you'd be better. Man, I'm going to tell you something right now. I would be thrilled to death. That would be wonderful. I guarantee you one thing, I'd have a lot more money than I've got right now, too. Can you imagine how much money people would be throwing at you if you could heal my cancer? If you could go down to that children's hospital right now and heal all those little babies? Can you imagine? You'd never once have to pass a plate. I promise you that. This idea got to pass plate after plate. We're going to keep passing the plate. Wait a second. I thought you were a healer. Listen, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's just common sense. If somebody could legitimately heal, do you think there'd ever be a want in their life or ministry? That someone wouldn't step up and say, man, I'm going to tell you something. It's yours. Whatever you need, preacher. Whatever the church needs, don't matter. Man, I'll tell you what. I thought I was going to lose my wife. I got millions in the bank, but I thought I was going to lose my wife. There's an, I'll give you, I'd give you a million dollars today if you could heal her. Don't think people wouldn't do it either. You wouldn't even have to ask for it. They'd be offering it to you. Don't let nobody kid you. This idea that you've got to go there and you're in a line all the way a half out the door and somebody's up there doing stuff, healing people and doing all that stuff. Somebody says, if you got terminal cancer, preacher, would you go to a healer? Well, I'm not going to tell you what I wouldn't do, but I'd hope I wouldn't. I hope I wouldn't get that desperate. I hope I could trust the Lord with that thing because biblically and scripturally, they don't exist anymore. Now, one day they'll be back again when we're out of here and God's dealing with Israel again. We'll see miracles like we saw before. But not right now. But anyway, look at Luke. Look what happens to these guys. 
Thought I'd throw that in. I got to get going here. We're running out of time. The 70, again, have been sent out. And they've been given this great authority and power. Notice, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not. Huh? What? What do you mean don't rejoice in that? And that points to everything that a human being would want, power and authority. And he said, no, 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 that's not what you ought to be rejoicing about. Notice what he says. He says, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What? Is he out of his mind? I have authority over spirits. I, I can cast out demons. I can heal the lame and I can give sight to the blind. Wow. I would be on every television station in America if I could really do that. I wouldn't have to pay for the time either. They'd be doing running ads about me. But he says, no, that's not really what you ought to be rejoicing about. If I give you that authority, it's for a reason. But what your real rejoicing ought to be in, what your real joy ought to be found in, is that your names are written in heaven. What he's really saying is, don't let your joy depend upon any earthly or temporal thing but let it depend upon that which abides. You know what abides? Eternity and heaven. That's what you ought to be excited about. That's what you ought to be joy-filled about, that your soul's saved, that you're on your way to heaven, that you don't have to ever worry again about paying the penalty of sin. We think of Paul and Silas there in that Philippian jail, huh? I mean, these guys, they've been stripped naked, beaten, cast into prison, placed fast in the stocks. And yet the Bible tells us in Acts 16, 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night. And I'm screaming. It's not praises either. These guys have been beaten and stripped naked. They've been cast into prison. Their feet are fast in the stocks. And they were even doing the right thing at the time. And the Bible tells us, that they prayed and they sang praises unto God. Tell me that isn't the joy of the Lord. See, Paul's the one, remember, who said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's an amazing thing as we look onto this joy here, this joy that Christ gives, this fullness of joy, this abiding joy. It's funny, researchers have found almost no correlation between income levels and happiness. Did you know that? It's amazing. They found no correlation. They found no correlation, almost none. There's a, there's a, few, there's a little bit there maybe, but almost no correlation between income levels and happiness. It's interesting, between 1957 and 1990, this is way back now. Don't think for a minute it hasn't gotten worse. But between 57 and 1990, income levels in the U.S. doubled. Yet at the same period, people's levels of happiness did not increase. Okay, their, their, their incomes are doubling, but their, their happiness isn't increasing. In fact, 
In fact, reports of depression actually increased tenfold in that period of time. Incidences of divorce, suicide, alcoholism, and drug abuse also rose dramatically in that same period of time. Oh, when incomes are rising, people have more money in their pocket, more, more liberty to do as they please, more opportunity than ever, and yet there's more depression, there's more vice, there's more mess. I can tell you why we're, we're you know, I can tell you why we're experiencing the same crisis today. You can tell me right now too, probably. No Jesus. And with no Jesus, there is no joy. As the world moves farther and farther away from God, the more prevalent depression, suicide, divorce, drug and alcohol abuse will become. It's just a reality of life. It's going to happen. There's no way we can continue in the direction we're going in America and to not continue to snowball in the wrong direction. It's not going to happen. It's going to just, oh, should I should have said it is just going to happen. You know what's even more tragic than the world moving in this direction? You've guessed it, I'm sure, is the church or believers moving that direction. You know, the believer, if not careful, is more and more prone today than ever to look to finances, family, friends, career, leisure, love, pleasure, power, or prosperity to somehow bring satisfaction and fulfillment in their life. Ask the young people what their real dreams and goals are. Talk to a 25-year-old and ask them what their real goals and dreams are. Talk to somebody that's 40. Find out what their real goals and dreams are. Almost every time it has something to do with money. Prosperity. Things. Whatever happened to just wanting to be a godly Christian? Whatever happened to just wanting to be right with God and wherever God wants me, doing whatever God calls me to do? Whatever happened? I'm not talking about full-time service and the the pastor. I'm just talking about I'm a full-time Christian because I'm a Christian. I just want to honor God with my life. I just want to please the Lord in who I am and what I am. That's my real goal in life. What happened to that one? Maybe we ought to just at least think about it. Again, the secret of abiding joy. It's Christ's joy. So without Him, there is no joy. And there is fullness of joy in His presence. Let's work at getting in His presence, not just praying and reading our Bibles. And let's truly strive to become everything God wants us to be so that we can experience that fullness of joy and know the abiding joy of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, there's no substitute for you in our lives. None.